And often what we can expect from the Lord is not what we would expect. He has a surprise for us, and his surprise is what he's praying for us. John's Gospel, chapter 17. John's Gospel, chapter 17. We come today to the conclusion of this prayer that Jesus has been praying in John's Gospel, chapter 17, for his disciples and for us. And we have seen that as we have studied and worked through this prayer, that as we align our lives with the Lord that He will work in our lives and we will be able to live our lives in accordance with God's will for us. And this prayer that He prays in John's Gospel 17, prayed as best we can tell in the temple courts between His time in the upper room and where He was headed on His way to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, Jesus here begins to pray and He prays out loud in front of His disciples And this final aspect of his prayer is what we're going to look at today in John's Gospel, chapter 17. And he prays a basic truth here. And we saw this a few weeks ago, but Jesus reiterates this truth at the end of this prayer. He says, the Father God loves us just like he loves his son Jesus. Think about that. God the Father loves you and me just like he loves his son. With the same intensity, he loves us like he loves his son. And then he says that he wants us to fully experience the Father's love. I have made, verse 26, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now your message outline is contained in your Rocky Mountain Connection. I invite you to follow along with me if you will. Jesus says, I have made known to them your name. Name. Now, we associate in our culture a name as a designation for another person, and we don't really pay that much attention to people's names other than to say that's so-and-so's name. But in the ancient world, the idea of name was much more involved than that. When you refer to someone's name, the name had meaning. And when Jesus says here, I have made your name, speaking of the Lord, I have made your name known, his, the idea here is he's made the reputation of God known, the honor of God known, the character of God known, the essence of God known, his title and his dignity. It spoke of your authority, your rank, the majesty and power and excellence of God. His name was the means and is the means by which we approach the Lord and know God. His name is how we have a relationship with God and we know His purposes. So His name is more than just a designation. And the idea here of making the name of Jesus known, it is His character, His excellence, His majesty, all that He is, His holiness, His power, that's all involved in His name. Let me use these two illustrations. If I refer to the Franklin Center, what you all think of is a brick building that sits over here behind the church. 
In the Hebrew mindset, however, if I refer to the Franklin Center as a name, they're not going to just think of a brick building over here. They think about the purpose of the building. They would think about the various rooms that are in the building and how those rooms function. They would think about the size of the building, all of the different aspects of that building. And that's the idea of a name when he says, I have given them your name. Again, it's not just the designation. It's the power of his name, the power of who he is, his character, his reputation. Same thing like with a sports team. If I refer to any sports team, let's say any kind of football team, I'm not just giving the title of the team. In the Hebrew mindset, what you would be referring to there would be all of the positions, the players, the positions they play in, the playbook, et cetera, et cetera. Not just a team, but all the aspects that go with a team. This is really hard to preach when I'm looking at um, Susie over there all dressed up from head to toe in her redskin stuff, et cetera being a Dallas Cowboy fan. But anyway, she's going to come forward and get right with God when the service is over with today. But the idea of a team in our culture is you just name it. In that day, it was the idea of everything that's involved. So when he says, I've made your name known and I will continue to make your name known, it is the concept and the idea that he is going to make and has made God's reputation, character, etc. known. Now, when he says, I'm going to continue to make your name known, Jesus is standing in the court of the temple, and he's offering this prayer. And as he prays, he says, Lord, I've made your name known. I've made your character, your personality, your attributes, all that you are. I've been making that known. And he says, I'm going to continue to make it known. Now, think about what happens in the next three days where he will make the name of God known. Just hours after he prays this, he is arrested. And when you read the account of him being arrested, you see the peace of God. As he stands there being falsely accused and condemned, he didn't get angry. He didn't try to strike back. He is totally at peace in the will of God, the call of God. Next, he goes to a trial. And in that trial, he is accused. He knows where they are taking him. He listens to the accusations. He is questioned. They look for him to make some type of response. And what you see in this trial is the patience of God. Following the trial, they take him out to crucify him. And when he gets to that hill outside of Jerusalem for three and a half hours, he hangs on the cross and they torture him and beat him and reject him. And you see the love of God fully expressed on the cross. Three days later, he makes the name of God known in his resurrection, the power of the life of God. Following his resurrection for the next 40 days, there's various appearances that he has, particularly with the disciples. And he is making known in those appearances the forgiveness of God, forgiving his disciples for blowing it, screwing up, running away from him, and also his restoring power because those post-resurrection appearances in one way or another of Jesus' way of restoring the disciples back into a relationship with him and setting them on the road to follow him and to serve him. So you see the forgiveness of God and the restoring power of God. And finally, he promises the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and in that you and I see the power 
power of God on display, filling us, empowering us to serve Him. That's the way He's making the name of God known. So He says, Lord, I've made your name known. Now, what purpose has He made His name known? I've made your name known, and I'm going to continue to make it known. For what reason? Here's the prayer. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, I want you to cue in on a preposition. That the love which you have loved me may be, here's the preposition, in them and I in them. Preposition in. Jesus says, I want your love, Father, the love that you have for me, to be in them. I want to be in them. His prayer, his request, is that the love that God the Father has for his Son would be in us. Now, I want to illustrate what he's saying this way. Imagine that your life is like this sponge, okay? And I've got a container of water here. If we're not careful, this is what we do with the love of God. If I take this sponge and place it on top of the water, it floats around on the water. Most of the sponge is not impacted by the water, just the part that's on the surface of the water. Ninety percent of this sponge is not impacted by that water. Ninety percent of this sponge, the, the depths of this sponge, all the nooks and crannies and so forth of this sponge are not permeated and saturated by the water. In fact, most of this sponge doesn't even realize that it's in the presence of water because it's just floating around on the surface of the water. So many times that's the way you and I are with the love of God. We know God loves us. We hear sermons on the love of God. We we sing about the love of God when we come to church. If someone walks up to us and says, does God love you? Oh, yes, God loves us. But it, His love never penetrates beyond the surface of our lives. It doesn't penetrate into the depths of who we are. It doesn't touch us and change us and impact us. That's why Jesus is praying here and He's saying, I want them to know in them. I want your love to penetrate into them, not just be on the surface. Have you ever had this experience? You go to the annual family reunion, and Aunt Clara, that you only see once a year at the family reunion or once a decade at the family reunion, walks up to you. And particularly if you're a guy, this is what she does. She grabs you by your cheeks, and you know she sort of shakes them, and she says, Honey, it's so good to see you, and I just love you. And what do we do with that? We say, Well, thank you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'll see you next year in five years, ten years. But that doesn't really impact us at all. We just say, Well, she's a nice lady that shows up, you know, at the family reunion, tells me that she loves me, et cetera. Well, that's a lot of times the way we treat God. You know, we show up at church on Sunday and, hey, he loves us. Or, you know, some people just show up once a year at Easter and, hey, he loves us, etc. But it, it never gets beyond that. It never changes us. That's why even though we do church constantly, we struggle with the same sin. We struggle with the same strongholds in our lives. We struggle with the same areas of defeat. We struggle with the same things that cause us depression and we don't seem to be able to break out of it because it's always surface. What Jesus is praying here, when he says, I am praying that the love that you have for me will be in them, is that we go all the way down into the love of God, that the love of God saturates into who we are, and that we are now filled with the love of God. If you will notice, now that I've pressed this down in here and I'm holding it, what's coming out? The water. When I squeeze it, what comes out? 
the water. Folks, when we get penetrated with the love of God, we start dripping the love of God. It starts oozing out of our lives. And when the pressures of life hit us, that's what comes out of us is what's inside of us. You see, if you and I want to know what's on the inside, let the pressure hit. And we find out real quick what's on the inside. And when God allows pressure to come into our lives and then begin to squeeze us and stuff starts coming out that isn't too great, God's trying to show us this is what's inside of you. This is what's sad saturating you and it's not my love what I want and what I'm praying for you is that my love will saturate you that you will go down inside of me and be saturated by all that I am that's what he's praying here now where and when does this happen in our lives we're going to look at three incidents from the life of Jesus first Matthew chapter 4 and verse 11 allow me to give you the context Jesus has gone through 40 days of intensely seeking the presence of God in the wilderness. Then he is tempted on the end of that 40-day experience by the devil, every way Satan can to try to strike at his identity and throw him off his game. At the end of the 40 days of seeking the face of God, at the end of the temptation, notice what happens. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Angels came and were ministering to him. The Greek word that's translated angel there means messenger. The Father God, in loving the Son, was sending his messengers to Jesus, and they ministered to him. Now, we're not told what the context of that ministering was about. But the idea there is that probably through word and through action, they ministered to Jesus following that intensity of seeking the face of God for 40 days and then being tempted by Satan. Now, how does that apply? How does that show us how God loves us and how the Father loves us like He loves the Son? There are going to be times in your life when you are going to intensely seek the face of God. You're going to need to get a touch from God and a word from God and know the presence of God in your life. God's going to call you to seek Him intensely so that He can work in your life and do and minister through you and take you to a new place. And after that time, we like to think that we're all energized, but sometimes intensely seeking the Lord leaves us exhausted. It leaves us exhausted spiritually, physically, emotionally, etc. And at that time, the Lord comes to us and He says, I want to minister my strength into you. I want to put my good stuff inside of you. I want to love you like I love my son. There are times that we go through in life that are very intense transitions in life. Notice this came into his life at a time of temptation, following a time of temptation often. And when we've been in intense spiritual warfare, we are beat up. We are worn out. And he says, I want to come to you at that time, and I want to minister to you, and I want to strengthen you, and I want to help you, etc. And we, in those times, it's so critical that we receive what the Lord has got for us. Because we need to be strengthened so that we can go on to what God has for us next. And if we don't take that time to be strengthened by Him, we're not going to potentially make it on to what's happening next. If you follow the context of Matthew 4, immediately after the angels strengthen Him, Jesus gets up to walk out of the wilderness. And the first word He gets is that His cousin, John the Baptist, that He had grown up with, has been arrested. Then he begins to move out into his, Jesus does, into his public ministry. But you see, all of that that happened 
happened after the angels came and were ministering to him. Let God get his love to you. When you've been, particularly through those intense times in life, when you've been through times of temptation, times of seeking the Lord, whatever it may be, because God knows that you and I need him to minister to us so that we can then move on to what he has for us next. Next story from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22 and verse 43. Jesus, same night as this passage of Scripture we've been looking at in John chapter 17. He's on the side of the Mount of Olives praying. His prayer is getting more and more intense. He knows he's going to be arrested in a few hours. He knows the crucifixion is coming the next day. And he is praying with extreme intensity. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven. That's thrown in there intentionally. That is the father's way of getting to his son. An angel, a messenger from heaven, strengthening him. Now the Greek word that we translate into English, strengthening, means to strengthen someone on the deep, on the inside of who they are. Just like I talked about how this water penetrates into the sponge, it is the idea that the Father was literally saturating the Son that night in ministry in the very depths of who He was. That the Father was penetrating into the very heart of the Lord Jesus Christ that night and strengthening Him because of what was going to happen. Now what you see in the temptation is the Father ministering His love to the Son After the event, what you see in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives is that in the middle of what he's going through, the Father sends the angel to him to get him through the experience. He knows the trial is coming. He knows the arrest is coming. He knows the crucifixion is coming. And so the Father sends the angel and he says to him, no doubt as he left heaven, you got to go to that garden. You got to get to my son. You got to get to him right now. I want you to say this to him. I want you to put this into him. I want you to minister. You got to get him ready for what is about to come. And in fact, in moments after the angel finishes with Jesus, it says that his prayer becomes so intense that the capillaries in his brain and his head begin to break and he be, his sweat becomes his blood as he moves into the intensity of the prayer. God got that to him just at the time that he needed it. And folks, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, but the cross will crush you if you don't allow him to minister to you. The cross will crush you if you don't allow him to minister to you. See, a lot of folks pick up their cross, but they don't allow Jesus to minister to them. They don't allow the Lord to reach down deep inside of them and bring healing and strength and empowerment. And so the cross crushes them because they haven't been strengthened by Him. When he strengthens you, he's going to reach into the core of who you and I are. He's going to identify things in our lives that we don't like being identified. He's going to speak into us in areas sometimes that we just assume him not speak into. He's going to bring healing to us that we desperately need.
And he's going to empower us and strengthen us to take the steps that we need to take to get on with what he's got. And I would like to say that strengthening always means that it gets easier. But in this particular case, it got tougher. In fact, Jesus was strengthened here just before he faced the most difficult and tough experiences he would face And sometimes God will say to us, I'm taking you to a really tough place, but I'm going to strengthen you before you go to the tough place. That strength doesn't mean you get to avoid the tough place. It means you will successfully get through the tough place. That's how he gets his love to us and loves us in that place. The final story is Matthew 28.2, the morning of the resurrection. Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord. Notice, descended from heaven, coming from the Father, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, I want you to notice what happens here. The angel comes from heaven. He rolls back the stone, and then he sits on the stone. And the whole thing starts with an earthquake. Angels coming with a message from the Father. First of all, you have three acts going on here. Act number one is an act of involvement. Notice when you look at the crucifixion story, the Father does what? He has to turn his back on the Son when all the sin of the world is laid on him. Here, the Father sends an angel to say, Son, I'm not turning my back on you anymore. I'm right here with you. I am involved with you and what is going on with you. Next, it's an act of connection. He connects to the Son. Love longs to be connected to the object of its love. Love longs to be involved with the one who is the object of its love, its focus. And what the Father is saying here is, Son, this morning... I am involved with you as I can be as I raise you from the dead. As I take your body and breathe life into it and bring you out. I am as involved with you as I could possibly be and I am connected to you. My life is connected to you. My joy is connected to you. All that I as your heavenly father and as your father can possibly be is connected to you. It is an act of involvement, an act of connection. And then finally, it is an act of celebration. Now, why was there an earthquake in the garden that morning? We're not told. But I have a sense part of it was, God was God's way of saying, the party has begun. The party has begun. Notice what the angel does. He comes down from heaven... He rolls back the stone, and then he sits on the stone. Now, bodily language in Scripture is not bodily language for the sake of bodily language. It's always trying to communicate something. So what is he trying to, angel trying to communicate when he sits on the stone? Well, in the world of that day, sitting communicated two very important things. First of all, it communicated that if you were a teacher, you were getting ready to teach. In that day, teachers taught 
by sitting down. And their verbal, their physical action of sitting down communicated they were about to teach. So when the angel sits down, what the angel is saying to these ladies is, I need to teach you something. The son has been raised from the dead. He's not here. Let me teach you about the resurrection. The second thing it communicated was, relax. Loosen up. Enjoy yourself. Relax. What is the angel doing? Those ladies walk into that garden that morning, and they see this angel hanging out on top of a stone. He is relaxed. The tough stuff's over with. The crucifixion's in the rearview mirror. He's raised from the dead. You can relax. You can enjoy what God has done and is doing. And folks, the love of God will always eventually take us to the place of celebration. The place you can relax. Sit back and enjoy and celebrate what God has done. Now, I want us to notice one final thing. It says that the angel rolled the stone back. Jesus, later on in this post-resurrection body, passes through doors. So if he had wanted to, he could have passed through the stone that morning. No stone was going to hold his resurrection body back. Jesus could have rolled the stone back himself. I mean, if you've got power to be raised from the dead, a stone is no big deal. I don't care how big a stone was. It would have been no big deal for him to just go up there and take his hands and, and roll it back. Or he could have just spoken it and said, roll. And the stone would have rolled. Talk about the rolling stones. So why did, the father, why did the father allow the son to stand there in a resurrection body with the authority and the power that he had to roll the stone away and leave the stone there so that the angel could roll away the stone for the son? I think the father wanted to do that for the son. You've hung on a cross, you've died, you've fulfilled everything I ask you to do. Now I want to roll the stone away. And I think the father was trying to say, son, I love you. And I'm rolling the stone away because you're not going to be contained by this grave and by death. Now the father loves us just as much as he does the son. And some of you that are listening to me in this room and by social media feel like you are living in a tomb. And there is a stone rolled across the entrance to that tomb and you can't get out. And it may be our tombs take all kinds of different sizes and shapes it may be guilt and shame. It may be a stronghold of something in our lives we can't seem to get through and get over. It may be a loss that we have endured that we can't get the joy of life back. But we are contained in some type 
of tomb. And we do not have the strength to roll the stone away and walk out of there. But the Father loves us like He loved the Son. And He will roll the stone away. The stone that you don't have the power to roll back in your life and walk into what God has for you, God the Father has the love and the power to roll that stone back and let you walk out of that tomb. Just ask Him. Just wait on Him. And then when He rolls the stone back, walk out. Walk out and celebrate. In every incidence, Jesus here waited on the Father and received what the Father had for Him. And the way that we know His love is we wait on the Father, we receive what the Father has for us in His love, and then we walk out in it. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank You this day that You, for reasons that we will never understand, love us as much as You love Your Son. And Lord, on the other end of intensity of life and temptation, you are there to minister to us, to help us stay in the game. In the midst of the intensity and struggles of life, with some tough days are still ahead, maybe the toughest, you meet us in that place. And minister to us in the depths of who we are. And Lord, when we are encased in our lives in tombs that we cannot roll a stone away, you come to us in your love to roll the stone away so that we can walk out into the freedom and into the work that you have for us. And in more of anything else, into the walk with you that you've got for us. Lord, help us to wait on you and receive what you've got for us. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, however you are hearing this service, I want to invite you to invite Jesus into your life if you've never asked him to come into your life. And to set you free to know him, to serve him, and to walk with him. By simply saying to him, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. And I want to walk with you into what you've got for me. In your name I pray. Amen.